Welcome to the Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast, bringing people together through collaboration, creativity, and community all through the arts. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm your host, Maureen Buscarino, and I hope to inspire you and to help you discover amazing music and artists from around the world. I can't wait to introduce you to today's guest. Sunita Stanislo is a native of Minnesota, but has made Israel her home since 2000. She's become widely known for her accessible arrangements for the harp and has 15 books published by Afghan Press, Mel Bay, and Sylvia Woods. A graduate of the Manhattan School of Music, Sunita is classically trained, but has a passion for traditional music. Her career has spanned many generations, and she has recorded CDs of Jewish, Celtic, and classical music. Since 2007, Sunita has been working as a therapeutic harpist at the Schneider Children's Medical Center in Israel. Sunita is a frequent performer and instructor at major North American folk harp festivals, was featured in the Virtual Harp Summit, and is a lever harp instructor for the online Harp Column Academy. You can find Sunita walking her dogs by the sea in Jaffa or playing in a session at a local Irish pub. In fact, in our interview, one of her pups fell asleep and started snoring. So don't adjust your headphones. It's just a puppy snoring. Um, Sunita and her husband also run boutique harp tours of Scotland and are in the process of renovating an old stone house in Shetland that will become their spring home. So welcome. So um, I just want to introduce everyone to the amazing and wonderful Sunita Stanislo. Um, I've had the pleasure of uh, working with Sunita at the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. And um, so thank you for, for meeting with me. And, and I really, I really appreciate it. So. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for doing this. And I love your website. I had a chance to like check out your website. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to getting to know you better. And I hope there is something in person this summer. Have you ever wanted to learn how to play the harp or find out more about the instrument? Well, this year marks the 20th anniversary of the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. The festival will take place online, so no matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to take workshops and listen to the concerts, meet the harp makers, and find out more about the harpists from around the world. Celtic, jazz, classical, electric harp, Paraguayan harp, and more. So check out the festival at Somerset Harp. Fest.com. That's Somerset, S-O-M-E-R-S-E-T. Hope to see you there. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me today. I, I really appreciate this. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So And, and thank you for meeting with us in, in beautiful Israel. So um, <laughs> I hope you're having, you know, so beautiful weather there. You said it's nice and warm. Yeah, it is. It is almost time for the air conditioning. We're kind of in between the heat and the air conditioning for this little sweet spot. All right. So... Since um, the interview that um, I'm producing is part of a series that doing interviews with members of the Somerset Folk Harp Festival, um, I really want to just start with 
your experience with the festival. So your history with the festival and, and what your take on the community feel is. So we could just start with your history of the festival. I started one of the first years and uh, it was when Jerry was running it and she said, oh, I'd really like to bring you over. And I didn't really know much about it. This was maybe 2003 and I thought, wow, do I get a grant? How am I going to fly over? I said, I don't know if it's really worth it. And then I'd been in Israel at three years at that point. And then I wrote back to her and I said, this is my ticket to the States for the summer. I want to come. And she said, oh, I've booked all the workshops, but would you play Psalms for, you know, worship service and something else? I said, yes, yes, anything, just get me over there. And then I realized what was being created. And, um, it's a gathering of, of harpists, but also, you know, by it being one of the larger ones, it's, it's harp builders that I would never get a chance to really meet. And a lot of people are regular. So I get this sense of, of community. And especially for me as a presenter, I often go to smaller workshops where there's only maybe two or three other harpists. And by having like my colleagues, like, you know, 50 of them, <laughs> all there and it's like a reunion it's wonderful for me and and i just count my blessings that i that i go almost every year that i um can be part of this event so i started years ago and i'm you know i hope it goes in in, in hebrew you say like if you live until you're 120 so i'm hoping that somerset goes beyond 120. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, yeah. Um, it is a wonderful community of, of people. So I'm, I'm so lucky to be a part of it as well. So and to have met you and so many amazing musicians from around the world, and people from around the world that come from yeah. all over. So, so I, I definitely wanted to ask you what inspired you to start playing the harp? Yeah, I wish I had a better story. I mean, people have these dreams, and they were drawn to it. And um I think I started the harp because my mom didn't want me to play the harp. <laughs> so be careful what you tell your kids that can't do. Um, I have two brothers. We all started piano in first grade. And um, there was, I grew up on an interesting street in Minnesota. There was uh, actually at some point four harpists on my street. But there was uh, friends of ours that played flute with the Minnesota Orchestra. And we had dinner at their house. And I was always drawn to the flute. I'm kind of a melody person. I, I would go to the orchestra and I'm waiting for the flute to play. And I was in second grade and I said, I wanted to play the flute. And she said, oh, I don't know. She took out her flute and I tried my hands on it and my fingers were way too short. And she said, you know, there's a reason why, you know, kids start in fifth grade or sixth grade. Um, wait till your fingers get lo you know, longer. Why don't you play harp like my daughter Leah? And so, oh yeah, well, I never really thought of that. And so I told my mom, I said, mom, maybe, maybe I want to play the harp. And she's like, oh, every girl wants to play the harp. You'll get over it. And um, I said, no. And there was five doors down, there was um, a girl that was in high school. Girl, she seemed like this grown woman to me at that age. And um, my mom said, okay, I'll give you five lessons and we'll take it from there. And I didn't have a harp, but I took my music and I would like study it on the couch at home. It's like, I really do want to play the harp. And, you know, Minnesota is 
driving distance from Lyon and Healy in, in Chicago. And back in the 70s, there were all these different centers that were that had a lot of harp. Many of them were driving distance of Lyon and Healy or near an orchestra harpist where they would live and teach. And um, we had a music store that had in the window a troubadour harp. And uh, so we got it for a good deal because it was the demo model and my grandmother just bought it for me. So a few months later, there I was with a harp and taking lessons. And so I think more of the interesting question is why do I still play the harp? You know, after all those years, I felt special as a kid. It was really fun um, to have something unique, made me special and opened up many opportunities for performing or youth orchestra. And um, but. I never knew when I started what doors it would open, the kind of places I would go, the people I would meet. And also that, um, you know, by being a harpist, you, your melody and accompaniment, you don't like, I started flute in fifth grade, but then I'm like, not always wanting to play by myself. I'm like, where's the piano? Where's my, where's my band? Where's, you know, whatever it was. Um, it was a choice then, cause I, I took flute pretty seriously. Um, to stick with the heart because because I could play by myself or with others. It was uh, it was the right thing to do, I guess. And then another neighbor started playing the harp. I played in the uh, Renaissance Festival in high school, and she had a puppet stall. and And she said, "Well, if Sunita can do it, I can do it too. I want to do it." And I said, "Barbara, I don't know if that's a compliment, but if I can do it, you can do it too." But she's still a harpist, and it's opened up so many doors for her. And um, yeah, so harp has really sort of been in my life since the end of second grade. Wow, yeah, that's so great. And then, and then you decide to study harp at um, eventually at the Manhattan School of Music, and yeah, so yeah, so it took a while to decide loving music and playing versus what career opportunities can you have. And I um, went to Tanglewood in in high school one summer and then I did Outward Bound the other summer. I was kind of conflicted where my focus should be. And I decided to go to a school where I could study. Then I studied with Miss Lawrence who taught at, um, at Boston University. I went to Tufts University, majored in international relations and music so that I would have uh, maybe choices later. Not really realizing that it really matters how you play, not necessarily your degree unless you're gonna teach. But I'm glad that I studied. I uh, took two years off and did some volunteer work with a nonprofit grassroots organization in Sri Lanka, studied harp in Israel, and then decided, okay, I'm gonna go for it. And uh, went to get my master's degree at Manhattan School of Music. That's awesome. That's such a great story. It's like all around the world kind of. <laughs> but the harp, I mean, it, it is like a, a, I mean, almost every culture around the world has some sort of form of harp, you know, and it dates about thousands of years. So, I mean, it, it's just so, rich of a history too. You're talking about teaching. Um, what is, when you're teaching beginners, um, how do you, how do you encourage beginners, especially, you know, maybe people who are adults who are trying to learn and um, like, how do you encourage them? Or if they're nervous about a workshop, um, you know, how do you bring them out so they are comfortable? And I, I feel like my style of teaching has really developed because of giving workshops. Um, because I was trained classically, you know, you're really focusing on technique and the repertoire, but I feel like what is important now in my life as a harpist is that I 
um, mm. can arrange music, that I can improvise, that I can really play sometimes something very simple that can be therapeutic heart music mm. and, and control it and not be thinking about, you know, getting the second movement up to tempo or all these different technical aspects are almost not relevant in a lot of my day-to-day performing or playing. And so I feel like that's been missing somewhat from teaching the harp. And my the opportunity of doing workshops is the chance to be more creative. Like, okay, you're working on your pieces and you maybe have a teacher who's doing a lot of technical work with you. Um, how do you How do you start down that path? of improvising more or even listening differently or how do you feel when you play the harp how can you look at the harp differently i was trained classically but i always grew up with all this music in my house um my dad put a harpsichord together from a kit for my mom we had a piano um my brother played bassoon and french horn and we had the harp and and my dad had i don't know listening to beatles and tijuana brass and all this kinds of stuff i had i had the whole the whole world of music around me and and loved it all. And then I didn't know how to arrange music. I came to Israel after undergraduate school, after Sri Lanka, and I lived in this house where apartment, we shared an apartment with creative people and they would have jam sessions till three in the morning and they're like, join in. And I'm thinking, well, okay, cool klezmer and jazz, where's my harp part? You know, and I, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> And, and I worked with some great folk musicians and it was a long journey actually for me. How do I get more creative? How do I think about arranging if I don't have a part? And, and I feel like I would like to jumpstart that with students. Why wait until you feel really fluid and good at reading music before can you just play with your kids? What, what are the ingredients of um, arranging or finding chords? How do I... Um, really focus in on that so somebody has something to take back and then work on. So it's not just um, something finite, but almost like opening up a doorway for people to then start maybe interacting or playing their harp in a different way. That's my goal is to really inspire people. And when I do workshops, that's the idea. And then give them some kind of um, steps that they can take, tangible steps. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it is difficult to get off of the page, like for, of music. So especially I think classical musicians, you know, it's it's the whole improvisation. And, you know, like, what do you mean there's no music? Or what do you mean you're teaching this to me by ear? <laughs> like, I right, need the music right. in front of me. So, um, but once you get off the page, there's so much more freedom. Right. I mean, I think it's good to have both. I mean, I think you should be open to everything. I, I think people sometimes feel like they have to choose a team. No, I only do by ear. I only do notes. Like, well, what if, what if you could do both? What if you get a tune and you can download it? Oh, and then you can change it. And then you can, or you memorize it. Or you can hear something, pick out the melody and work with it. Why aren't we like completely thinking of ourselves as this full musician rather than um, picking it, you know, sides in a sense. Yeah. So um, I encourage everyone to come to my workshops. If you just read music, I have handouts with with notes. I also write things out in words and I encourage people to record. So if you are better just looking at your harp or listening, that's possible too. 
on a side, my dog started snoring. Do you oh, hear is that what that is? I thought it was my computer. Yes. He's... Okay, so I'm going to move him because I've, I haven't even started playing the harp, but I have now lulled him to sleep. I was just like, minutes. no, I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what is buzzing on my oh, mic? I'm so sorry. Because I thought, well, if he doesn't care, you don't seem to notice. So I'm moving him outside. Okay, just a minute. Okay. Because she'll often come and sit next to me when I play the harp. So here I'm all set Aww. up with my harp. And like she gave up on the music and just fell asleep and started snoring. <laughs> that was so cute. The Edinburgh International Harp Festival is an annual celebration and gathering of musical talents from the global harp community. The 40th EIHF will take place the 9th through 14th of April, 2021. And due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the 2020 festival was forced to go virtual. Thanks to Rachel Hare for putting so much work into making the virtual festival happen. And luckily for all of you, the workshops and concerts are still available on their website. That's harpfestival.co.uk. When you're, when you're teaching your beginner harpist, do you have a specific tune that you like to work on with them or do you like getting them just to do start like you were saying with improvisation just so they get used to the strings yeah so I I tell them to the very first let's not to have music but start to look at their harp so that they learn right away okay the reds are c's or here they do do me you know and the blues are f's and to start making combinations because patterns and combinations are really how we think of music and and to feel comfortable with low notes and high notes so I get them I teach them how to do glissandos and how to play with just one finger in each hand you know make a beautiful like they can do right away red and around the blue is a, a c chord and to start experimenting what does it like feel like to play low what does it feel like to go high so that they get to know at the very beginning okay closer to me is the shorter strings they're higher Further, they're low. This is what it feels like if my hands work together. And and think of the harp as this full body, full body sport, full body art. That um, when you go straight to the notes, often people maybe they play piano and they read notes really well. So they are going right away to like looking in the notes and they start to hunch in and get closer and get tight right away because they want to play. They can read all these notes. And I feel like that if I hold off the notes a little bit, they start to understand just physically what does it feel like to play the harp instead of just note finger. And that's like the shortcut rather than the full, the full picture. Um, and then we find songs that maybe they know by ear. You know, it could be The Water Is Wide, a happy birthday, a song for their kids and um, start to add something simple. So already they're starting to think of phrasing and then I start to add music. Um, if they're kids, I have them compose or tell a story mm. right away. Because I find that kids are really creative. And then they'll, I can tell them you can think of like rain, that music has rhythm and it has, um, you know, texture and sound and it's melody and it's harmony. You know, if, and they could tell a story about it raining or, or, or something else. And one girl, very precocious, she uh, um, wrote a song about the, she was like eight, the Great Wall of China. I thought, mm. wow. Wow. I thought they'd come back with like rain or mice or something. And you know, I said, she's going to go somewhere. She actually moved in and studied with a different teacher. And I don't know what she's doing now, but I thought, wow, 
you know? I think kids are so much more creative and know so much more than we really give them credit for. So I um, get them to think of themselves as, as uh, you know, composer, improviser, and learning notes all at once. And people either already know notes, and so they're really fast at that, or don't know notes right away. And, you know, it takes a while before it kind of evens out, because I do a lot with notes. But I um, try and get to balance it as soon as possible so that people aren't only one direction. I work on arrangements. I have several students who sing. So we work on their songs and their arrangements and I write their arrangements with them or for them. Um, and there's this uh, etude called Soaring and it's from um, a Louise Pratt book. And and it's just like these flowing arpeggios. And now there's some actually great other pieces too that um, you know, there's new harp composers coming out with just really beautiful, but also simple arpeggiated, um, like just little moments of beauty really. Hmm. And uh, I want them to feel empowered because harp is awkward. It's awkward to get your fingers right and feel loose. And if you try and do too much and too fast, then I think people get discouraged. And the whole trick is this balancing act of how do they feel like they're on this wonderful journey versus they feel like they know so much, why are their fingers not cooperating? Hmm. And uh, figure out that balance individually, actually. That's amazing. I, I love that because it's a whole like kind of beginner mind to kind of give yourself the space in the room just to have fun and express right. yourself. So yeah, it's so important to make it enjoyable experience right from the beginning. Exactly. Because I think some people old school is like you had to just work hard and you get it. But um, people left in tears from lessons sometimes. And I, I don't think that that's what really brings out the best in people. I love your answer for that. That was just, I mean, just the whole combination of, you know, just getting people comfortable with it. Because you're right, because a lot of people when they're starting on the instrument they're so intimidated by it and the and they do I I mean I hadn't thought about it but they do start like hunching over trying to pick things out or their their face is like against the strings and they're you know um instead of just like letting the notes come to them more and you know getting that muscle memory of like what does a third feel like what does a fifth feel like and then having that freedom to kind of trust yourself exactly exactly I was wondering if since it's a 350th anniversary of O'Carolyn's um, birth. If you had any favorite O'Carolyn pieces or a piece that you hoped that would be played in the um, O'Carolyn marathon that they're doing at the uh, Somerset Festival. Mm -hmm. Well, it's sort of a slow air. I don't know if it's what we should play or not, but there's a um, Bridget Cruz there's both the third and the fourth air, um, are just so just utterly gorgeous, I find them. And I started playing them a lot more when I did hospital work here because when you enter a room, I work in a children's hospital and there can be up, to, there's three beds usually in a room. And Israel, you think of it as this melting pot of people from around the world, but it's actually, um, very distinct neighborhoods and towns. And so you don't feel like you always will meet somebody who is Arab or Christian or, diff or 
religious Jewish versus secular Jewish, that we all have our different paths. We kind of pass, but uh, it's unusual. I live in Jaffa, which is a very mixed uh, neighborhood where I am now. But um, there is sensitivity that comes with that. If somebody is Muslim, do they really want to hear a super patriotic Jewish piece? Will it touch them? Or will it kind of like, I'm, you know, because when I play in the room, everybody hears me, even if I'm like focusing on one kid. How can I make it feel like this calming, special atmosphere for everyone? And I learned that everyone loves Ireland. So it'll give a smile to everyone. So if I play something Irish, then everyone's happy. So I started playing this a lot. The This air, the one. Um, do all kinds of arpeggios I can fade in and out and it was like my magic entrance it was like foolproof everyone always liked it they weren't even sure necessarily where it was from but it wasn't going to insult anyone and so I play it all the time in Israel so that's like my number one hit for Israel is, is Bridget Cruz um, but you know there's an active community of players who play Irish music here. There's quite a um, talented group of musicians that go to Ireland a lot to learn art for camp, or there's quite a few harpers or a handful that um, go to the Edinburgh Harp Festival that um, have brought the level really pretty high. There's an Irish session every Friday, uh, right before Shabbat kind of goes into the Sabbath at this Irish pub called Molly Blooms in Tel Aviv. And it's an open session. Sometimes it's a flight attendant or somebody visiting or really pulled together by this tight group of really, really good Israeli musicians. And um, they'll play O'Carolyn some, they'll play Carolyn tunes, but it's considered more, um, I don't know, not as hip as like the really hopping reels and jigs. They do it if there's a harpist. <laughs> Oh, that's so neat. Well, that's a, a great segue to talk about the children's hospital that you that you work in. I um, have worked there for about 13 years now. Uh, and I started even before then playing in a newborn intensive care unit. I was part of a study. And then they heard there was HARP. They had a little bit more funding for music in the children's hospital. Schneider had a like a sister hospital also in, in the New York area. And they didn't necessarily want another music therapist, but they wanted to incorporate more music. And they thought, well, harp is kind of special. It's magical. We have this whole connection with King David here. And um, so I was hired as a, just like a project. And, you know, the harp is such a special instrument. That, that there's kids that we just couldn't reach in that were, you know, didn't want to do art therapy or this or that, but the harp was like their, their chance because we have this deep tradition with King David, but there aren't that many harpists here. There's more now in the past 10 years, but um, it was still very, had this rare, special feel to it. And then they figured out how to get the funding so that I've been there for 13 years now. And this last year I worked twice a week. And they had harps donated. So we have these harpsicles in all these different colors. And 
I work with the kids, um, teaching them to play something, something really simple, and I play with them. And so that it feels like it's this big piece all of a sudden that they can do. And it, it's changed both good and bad. I mean, because everyone's taking, you know, they're, they're whipping out their phones and taking videos. And at first I used to hate it. And then I ran into some parents who said, oh, you know, their child passed away, their child's healthy now, but they look back at their hospital time and they have this magic oh. moment of them playing the harp. So I thought, okay. I feel better about them whipping out their phones for everything. But it made me realize that I should play with them too. And we, I improvise, I show them how to do red and blue strings. Then I improvise in the key of F or um, start a little bit of a tune like um, Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is like the same three strings, almost the whole song. And, and the idea is to empower the kid. Often a kid feels kind of okay but they're in some pain, but they're stuck for another two days there. And they're still a kid, they have energy or they're bored. And um, then we can really do something fun together. Other times they're in a lot of pain or there's a lot of stress in the hospital in general. And hospital in Israel is not designed for sound and it's noisy and Israelis are noisy. And it's just, hard environment to get to sleep in or or stay asleep and so sometimes my job is to create this almost like a, a, a curtain between the room and the outside and and so that they can breathe better or fall asleep mm. and so I'm not the music therapist it's not like then I can do therapy with them I actually there's two other music therapists and I um you know, I'm friends with them, I'm colleagues with them and we can work together and they can say, hey, can you make sure you see this kid tomorrow? I worked with them or that I feel really fortunate that I'm, I'm not in any way feeling that I'm competing with them, but complimenting them. And I taught them how to play the harp. And I, uh, I now have been in just about every unit at the hospital over the years. I did a lot of work in oncology and this last year I haven't. And I'm really glad because they had a lot of serious infections and I don't want anyone to ever think that me bringing my harp could have brought in any infection and uh, I mean I'm wiping down my harp all the time with many wipes but still I'm another person in the room and sometimes people are um, just so tight with tension that they feel like they can't even open their mouth to eat and and if I play then the kid will start to sing or the parents sing and then they can eat or they can sleep or they can rest or they just feel like sometimes I do little things if the kids are the age of like like fairies that it was like they had this magical time and then I kind of tiptoe out um, to help them feel like a kid again that they are a kid to create a sacred space uh, often if they're religious they're saying psalms but maybe they'll sing psalms or they feel that 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 by singing a song that this this prayer is like this time that they, that's just much more powerful with their kid or to um not think about being sick for a little bit which is also healing because there's such a correlation between tension and, and, and hormones and healing and sleeping that i feel like i'm part of the bigger picture i'm not you know any antibiotic for them but i can create a space where maybe their the parents will burst in tears and they feel better and I walk out and then they can listen to the doctor when they walk in next. Uh, so a lot of magical moments, sometimes difficult moments. Um, so I've been everywhere, the internal medicine, dialysis, um, intensive care, newborn intensive care, emergency, 
um, oncology, uh, cardiology, intensive care cardiology. And, uh, and I love it. I, I don't think I could do it every day. It'd get too intense. I love doing it twice a week. So there's some continuity and I um, see so much love. You see so much love between parents. I, you know, I didn't grow up in Israel. Israelis are tougher than Minnesotans. Minnesotans are very nice and kind of cool. And um, it just seems like there's too much tension or anger. And I feel further away from being Israeli. And then I go in the hospital and I see such an outpouring of love that it just completely puts me in balance again. That's beautiful. I, I, I remember when my, my mom um, had ovarian cancer and when she was in the hospital, um, I brought my harp to her and I was just playing in her room and all of these patients just came walking down the hallway and the nurses said to me later that they were patients who couldn't even get into a chair in their room or didn't even want to walk in the hallway. And then all of a sudden they, they just started, they heard music and they heard the harp and they just, you know, for, for them, it was just sort of like a, a healing, beautiful moment for them. Um, and then they, you know, and then, like I said, the nurses were like, they, they're usually not responsive, you know, so. Yeah. And, and, it, and it is a lasting effect. So let's say they slept and they feel more refreshed. So the whole day proceeds differently, or if they really got up, so they started moving, then it's, it's this, I think of it as a snowball effect that I'm starting the snowball, um, you know, in the, in the right direction. Yeah. That for healing. Absolutely. You know, that's beautiful. That's so, uh, it's just so beautiful that you, that you, that you get an opportunity to do that with, you yeah. know, and connect with people. So now we we were just discussing Sunita working therapy harp in, in Israeli hospital. And now I, would really love to ask you about your Palestinian student and how you ended up working with her um, on the harp and um, how you did a whole fundraiser to get her a harp. Um, I just think it's such a beautiful, beautiful story. Yeah, it is. Um, and it makes me feel even more proud to be part of the harp community um, because of it. Um, in Israel, it's been now just over 50 years that every three years they've had sort of the Olympics of the harp, this international harp contest in Israel for classical harpists, but not enough harpists to really have critical mass for a harp festival. And I was on the artistic committee for the international harp contest for a little bit. And, and I said, you know, we really need to do something that involves not just sort of passively listening, but um, encourages the harpists. There's a lot more harpists now. And and one of the reasons is because 10 years ago, there was uh, actually a harp student of mine um, who started a harp shop and started it with, uh, and she went to the international harp contest and said, oh, can I, you know, import line and Healy harps? And they're like, no, we do through teachers already. Wait till your bigger store. We'll talk to you later. She's like, no, no, I really, really want to do this. And Kamak said, okay, you can start with three harps. So she started with a few harps and she had just started that. Um, business, just getting in some harps. And there's a few more harp students kind of everywhere. And I thought this would be a great way to pull together the harp community. And I got a sense for that. There's a lot of harpists kind of hidden out there because when I first started learning therapeutic harp, we had started meeting a group of harpists in Jerusalem because I said, look, you know, in the rest of the world, they've harp 
societies. It's a funny world. This word that's called like Hebrews and he was like, like harp friends. Let's get a harp circled together and see who crawls out of the woodwork. And we thought maybe five or six that we knew of and 18 people showed oh, wow. up to the first meeting. And then several of us really wanted to do more learning for therapeutic harps. So we started down that journey. Now there's a couple harpists doing therapeutic work at a hospital in Jerusalem. And there's somebody who sort of separately had went um, to the Therese Schroeder Shekers program um, in the States and works up, up north in more hospice settings. And so I thought, okay, we should get some of these people together and start to network because the teachers are kind of isolated. If you're in Haifa, you study with a harpist in Haifa or Tel Aviv, the harpist from there or Jerusalem and everybody's kind of in their little um, area where they know a handful of harpists, but there's a lot more maybe out there. So they said, we're not sure if it's really ready, but we'll, we'll let you try this. Sure that I would fail and then they would never hear from me again. But it was turned out to be this great success. We had our first ever Israeli Heart Festival. And so I thought, okay, what would bring everybody together? Because it's a little divided, even in Israel. Little is maybe a polite word for saying that there's this division between um, pedal or classical harpists and folk harpists. So I asked uh, Alfredo Orlando Ortiz, who's a Latin American harpist, and he's been at Somerset a lot, and he's won you know, where he's just loved, beloved by everyone. And so I said, Alfredo, why don't you be, you know, our guest of honor? We can invite one person from abroad. And he said, oh, I've always wanted to come to Israel. Absolutely. But that was the year that he fell in the airport and broke his knee and he couldn't fly. And he knew that he wouldn't be able to fly by that fall. And I was in the States and then I went up to Vancouver for the World Harp Congress. And I thought, okay, there's all these harpers there. My job is to find somebody that will come for like, really no money we can the american embassy will fly them we'll put them up they'll get some side gigs but it's not like we'll give you thousands of dollars to come to israel but if somebody wanted to come to israel this would be like alfredo was like wow and yeah you know he was like ready to come and i thought but they have to be somebody like alfredo that would bring in everybody and i saw park stickney who's a friend of mine i said park it has to be you he's like oh really i don't know i'm not sure if i really got it. park it's you it has to be you to unite everyone and, and do a really cool concert. And I promise I'll give you all these other gigs. It's like, really? You'll get me all these other gigs? Like, yeah, I will. And um, I'll, I'll put you up at my house extra and I'll, I'll drive you everywhere. It's, we'll just do it. And he said, okay, but you know, he doesn't want to just do something Israeli. He'd like to somehow connect with the Arab community or somehow with the Palestinian community. So he feels like he really experienced the whole area and didn't just come to Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. So my husband works, um, he has a tour company now that's really unusual because it's uh, a collaboration of Israelis and Palestinians. And he's been involved in a lot of um, nonprofits and, and work and activism with people on both sides of the Palestinian and Israeli worlds. It's really like two different worlds. And so I said to him, make me a list of musicians or projects that Park could be part of. And um, one of them was to do a workshop with this new school that this Israeli um, nonprofit is organized near Nablus, which is like a big city in the center of the West Bank, um, in a poor village. And they've started a music program. They have instruments. They've started teaching all kinds of kids. And they had somebody came from Britain and did all this amazing singing with them. And they're really, then they had such a good experience. They really love this idea of people from the outside coming and doing a workshop. So... That was all the plan. And in fact, so when Park flew in, 
um, I had it set up, he was like flying in at two in the morning that we'd bring him straight to Masada at sunrise and do a concert, Sunrise Masada. We did this great stuff in Park. It was, it was great. We got him to the workshop and I had to go the week before and find a translator. And there was a blind woman that was getting her master's in English and Arabic translation. And I brought her the harp, you know, what is a harp? They don't really even have a word for harp practically in Arabic. It's really not in their, um, in their culture at all now, although in ancient times it was. And she fell in love with it. She said, oh, it's like the sound of the sea. I wanna play the harp. And I brought my harp and my big harp and, and a small harp and Park did this amazing workshop, like chick career or something. It was like really cool jazz stuff with these kids with oud and percussion and violin. And, and, she, and Yasmin was the translator. And she said to me, she said, I wanna to learn to play the harp. So I said to her, I said, well, if you ever get a harp, I can teach you the harp, thinking I'll never see her again, right? And my husband, Fred, said, look, you know, if we just put word out on social media and you have a mailing list, I bet we could raise enough money to get her a harp. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, checks came from $20 or $10 or $100 and, and really um, a generous amount from this couple in, in England. And in a couple of months, I had enough money to get her a 34 string harp. That's so it was, beautiful. and from a builder in Israel that he's originally from South Africa and he builds harps up in the Galilee. And he was thrilled by this whole idea and to make a harp for Yasmin. And so before you know it, she had a harp. And so I'm driving through the West Bank, which I never did alone before. And I was really terrified at first, started teaching her and entering a home where her father had been killed by a settler. So they had very bad experiences with Israelis. And I was coming as a teacher and I was given such respect. And of course you have to eat. You can't just go, you know, it takes me a while to get there and then leave and it's like, no, 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 Yasmin, I really have to go now. No, 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 we made lunch for you. You have to stay. I learned to roll grape leaves. I went to a, a sister's wedding. I, you know, it became such a gift to me. And then it was often hard with a lot of closures of going back and forth. And I started giving her Skype lessons and which sounds really funny. I can see her. She can't see me anyway, but I'd have to help her tune. It was really hard. She, I thought her family would help me more, but they were a little bit jealous. I think why does yes, I mean the blind girl always get the computer and the harp and whatever special things that she got. And um, then it was time for the next harp festival. We've had three. And I thought, okay, let's get her permit and bring her. This will break some stereotypes. She's the only Palestinian who plays the harp. Maybe this will open doors for other people to play the harp or whatever. We got a, it was really hard to get her a permit, but we did. And she joined in the festival and people treated her so well. And it was wonderful to see because some people are still in army uniforms or people dressed if they're more religious or secular. And she couldn't judge people how they were dressed. She mm. just couldn't see how nice they were. And people of all spectrums were really open and welcome to her. And she played pretty well, I think, for after a few years. But then she kind of was busy doing other things and didn't play much at all. And so I thought, well, okay, this is what it was all about anyway. But they did an interview of her and for the newspaper, because that was really unusual. This is, you know, somebody from Palestine coming to the Israeli Harp Festival. And it was a beautiful interview. And she talked about how after her father was being was killed by an Israeli, 
settler, she realized that hate is not the way. She was filled with hate at first and anger and that really we're all people and we all need to learn to live together and to you know, respect other, and she worded it just so beautifully. It was a beautiful article and people noticed it. I read an article about the joint Israeli-Palestinian Memorial Day. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Where Palestinians and Israelis get together to mourn our dead, because usually it's just Jews get together to mourn who died in war or terror. So it's kind of, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but it's, it's quite somewhat controversial, so it's smaller. She played and she was noticed by this nonprofit group that gets together people who have lost someone, either on the Palestinian side or Israeli side to terror or war. And she became part of that group, started learning Hebrew. And then like I hadn't heard from her for a year and she called, oh, I'm off to Italy for um, this, uh, I guess that group went and did a speaking tour and this kind of some sort of festival or something. And, and um, he said, yeah, I'm now an international peace activist. Wow. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. You forgot how to play the harp kind of, but the harp really opened a door to a whole other world for her. And now she actually said she wants to come back to it. Um, but it made me think again too, that sometimes we put too much expectations in what the harp is supposed to bring us. And maybe learning a few tunes and just bringing yourself joy is what it's about. And we tend to think, oh no, I should have learned 10 tunes by that. I'm, and students will say, oh, I'm so mad at myself. I didn't practice this week. It's like, no, it's, it's a journey. Is it bringing you joy? Is it opening doors? Have you met new people? Are you part of now a, a bigger um, community? And that's what I like about Summers. And we really are a, a group of very, interesting people that have so many interests beside the harp with this common love of the harp and and I love going to harp festivals and sort of feeling part of part of my tribe so she's sort of part of that and I realized that um maybe students should not be so hard on themselves and just really really enjoy the journey and some really do and others compare how many tunes they've learned or as if we're on some kind of timetable. And because at first I think I was disappointed with Yasmin. It's like, well, don't you know that if you actually practice, you'll like learn a lot more tunes or faster. Mm. It's like, well, maybe that wasn't the point. It empowered her. It brought her out to public that saw who she was and she speaks really well. And um, this opened up doors for her. So to me, it was this really a whole other experience beyond that, what I ever think about. It's all because Park Stickney decided he wanted to go there and we got Yasmin as a translator and that we had a harp festival in Israel. It brought together people. That's what harp festivals do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so like, I goosebumps like during that story. It's so beautiful. Like you just never know like how you're going to touch someone else's life and, and how they're going to, you know, reach out to other people. You know, it's, it's just so beautiful that you had that open heart to, you know, say like, let's do this and to go and teach and, you know, and, and bring that joy to her. Um, it, it's, and look at what she's doing for the world too. It's amazing. That's just an incredible story. I love it so much. One of the nice things about meeting up with colleagues at Somerset um, and some of these other smaller harp festivals. Um, there's a festival in Wales in the middle of British Columbia, Island Mountain Art. They have a harp school. And I've gone a number of times when Kim has been there. And I've actually been roommates with Kim at Somerset. And 
there isn't so much going on in Wisconsin where she lives now or Iowa or there's some going on in Minnesota. And we thought that it would be really nice to team up and do a retreat, something much smaller and intimate, more in, in the line of what is in British Columbia. And, and so we teamed up, we talked about it, you know, over a few years of kind of meeting and it's uh, going to be our, our third year now and has um, been for me a really nice compliment to really team up with somebody. Often I'm the only person or I'm one of many, but to really have a colleague to discuss how do we want to um, cover topics? How, if we have several days, how can we as, as a whole, you know, thinking of it as a whole experience, give enough of different topics and areas to really leave somebody feeling, you know, inspired um, for another set of time, you know, months, hopefully. And so we still plan on doing it. It's the end of July. It's really small. We have like, you know, around 20 people. So it's not this huge festival. So we're still hoping, hoping that it can happen. Um, although everything's up in the air this year, but we, I still have hopes for that. And also in the middle of August to teach at Island Mountain Arts. Um, but I love teaching. I love teaching because I feel that I, I enjoy working with people, but I feel that it's, it's a two-way street, that they're getting something from what I'm saying, but also I'm learning about how to approach the heart maybe differently. How, do I, how did I get that way, moving my hand in a certain way? How did I, you know, if I have to express it, then I actually learn it differently. And, I, and also studying therapeutic heart, I feel like I become much more um, of a musician who is thinking in a whole more holistic way about music I choose and how I arrange or, or how I'm playing um, because I learned a lot from teaching too. Yeah, we're always discovering and learning and growing and, um, but I, I, um, I did want to ask where can people find you if they want to find out more information, they want to buy your CDs, they want to pick up your music, um, if they want to take classes with you or. Um, so I have a website that needs revamping and that's on my list. Um, I, but you can contact me through the website, sunitaharp.com and, um, and I have a calendar there too, but nobody really buys CDs anymore, but I, I, a CD baby has things that you can buy, like to download and on in streaming on, um, some of these, you know, online radio platforms. I still have to work something out because it's some things were put under classified under Sunita and some Sunita Stanislaw. And so they don't pick up all my CDs. It's a, I'm stuck in this kind of catch 22 that hopefully will get solved soon so that you can just ask Siri to play and then you'll have all of my recordings up. They're on iTunes also. And uh, yeah, I'm starting new projects. I started working with an oud player until we're all sort of quarantined and have my fingers already starting to work on uh, several new books of arrangements. But you know, the books of arrangements are all out there when you go to almost any store, like folkharp.com, the Melodies Music Afghan Press. They have all of my um, music. Lina Healy has some of them. Sylvia Woods has some, but uh, folkharp.com has them all. You can Google it. You can find my books pretty easily. And Mel Bay publishes some.
Great. And I think you said you were um, looking at expanding your YouTube channel also. So yes. So, <laughs> so, you know, I just finally, I'm, you know, it's like one of those things I should deal with later. And I'm finally like figuring out how to put things is so simple, actually, onto YouTube. And um, my project for the next month is to really expand it. And uh, also all my new books of arrangements, I'm just going to play each tune all the way through. So if you're learning the piece, you can just go to my YouTube channel and listen to it. And because uh, that often helps people if it's a piece they've never heard before um, to how to even begin to approach it. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. Thank you so much for, for joining me today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that we didn't cover? So I I live in Israel. It's always confusing. Where am I living? Where am I coming from? Where am I flying? And just sort of to clear the air here. So I grew up in Minnesota and my, my parents are still there. I have family there. So I'm often based in Minnesota in the summer. But my son married, had a kid moved to San Diego. So my husband and I have actually um, an RV in San Diego. So we're based of San Diego, Minnesota in the summers, late summers. And um, we bought an old stone house in Shetland in the most northerly island. We took a trip right before my son got married and uh, spent half a year cycling. And I had this Heartland carbon fiber harp that I put in the back of our tandem, which is crazy now that I think of it, but it was quite the adventure. And we decided to just go as far as we could, as far north and then work our way back down. And so we didn't just go to Shetland, we went all the way to the most northerly island. And there's a lot of old stone houses that, that need renovation. And my husband had done renovation work for years, sort of like a past life. And we had an eye on a particular house and we bought it for a song because if we don't fix it this year, the roof's gonna cave in. So my husband's there now since March and it's a historic house. So there's a lot of bureaucracy to get approval, but they're working on it. There's no, there's no, uh, COVID-19 on UNST yet. And um, uh, the plan is to live there maybe a month or two, a year. My husband wants to live longer. He'll go earlier. I'll still be in Israel until I finish up with students and then spend part of the summer in Shetland, um, which needs more harpists because it's very fiddle oriented. So it's about time that there's more harpists <laughs> in Shetland. And um, so I, I married, my husband's originally from Scotland. So I married a, a Scotsman. So that's sort of my hook into Scotland, Shetland. And I've been to Scotland a lot because his sister still lives there. And my first Klarsach or folk harp was built by Jack Ewell. And I met such a wonderful community of, of harpists there that my husband and I decided to start to team up rather than I'm doing harp, he's doing tours. And we started this, these boutique harp tours in Scotland, where you can meet some of these great harpists like Patsy Stedden, Mary McMaster, Karina Hewitt, some of these, Rachel Harris, some of these people that have, you know, come to Somerset too. And um, Cheyenne Brown, meet harp builders and and see Scotland, but be imbued with, with music at the same time. And it's a very small, kind of very personal thing, but we've um, started doing that now every year. So that just can confuse you, but it's really three locations, the United States, Scotland, and Israel. <laughs> It's fantastic. Is is there a website for the the tourists too? I think we'll we'll have that in the show it's notes. It's on my website. It's so, on my okay. website. Okay. So um, that's wonderful. I mean, so many beautiful places that you you know get to. Gorgeous. It's yeah. gorgeous. Oh, that's so amazing. So, um, but thank you so much for being here with me and for sharing so much with with me and for your your puppy to be sleeping and so, <laughs> <laughs> so cute. <laughs> So, 
<laughs> but um, I'm, I'm, I, I hope we'll be able to see each other this year uh, at Somerset. Um, but if, if not, then, then next year. So, um, but I just wanted to really, really appreciate your, just your, your joy and your love of, of life is so in, infectious and um, your, your music that you, that you create is just so beautiful and you have such heart in everything that you do. So uh, thank you for sharing that today. Wow. Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you. You'll find links in the show notes to Sunita's website and where you can purchase her music, as well as links to the Somerset Folk Harp Festival. Thanks for listening to Moon Over the Trees Music and Theater Productions podcast. Dive into the show notes at moonoverthetrees.com. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast. And be sure to check out my website, Facebook page, and Instagram for Moon Over the Trees for more information on artists from around the world, upcoming interviews, and inspiration for your own musical and theater learning journey.